My name is David, and it's good to see you. Glad you came out today. Now, I, I was going to sing a song for you this morning. I know some of you are laughing. I can carry a tune provided I have a sufficient size bucket. Uh, but So I'm just going to share the words with you. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's what there's just too little of. Now, aren't you glad I didn't sing that for you? Um, now, I'm dating myself. Some of you might remember that song from a long time ago. But it's true. And part of the reason that you're here today is that you are part of the human condition, seeking love, acceptance, the kind of a place where you can connect and be a part of something that's important and significant. And so I'm glad that you're here today. Because what we've been singing about is really true, that God through Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be accepted with the living God of the universe and thus with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is a rich and glorious thing. And I'm glad that you're here and that you can be a part of that. Now, this whole need for one another started a long, long, long time ago. In fact, it was God's idea. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God looks down on what he's created. He'd created, you know, all these things. And there was a human being there, but there was a human being of only one gender. And God looked down on that and said, if this guy doesn't get help, he's not going to make it. Now, that's a slight paraphrase, but it's not too far off. I remember Dr. McComsey in class used to tell us about this verse and this passage. It's God leaning over the balcony of heaven and going, boy, this Adam guy. <clears throat> and he would, in his sly little way, say, you know what? God's talking to himself. I can do better than that. And he makes a woman. And Adam goes, now we're talking. <laughs> Ladies, you can clap for yourselves on that one. And, and guys, if you're honest, you will agree with that, right? Come on, guys, shake your head. <laughs> some of you, some of you wouldn't be here today if it weren't for that significant lady in your life. And so, God uh, brings this community together, this original small group. The man and the woman. And they were able to carry on, at least for the most part, the mandate that God had given. Further on in Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, we refer to him as Kohela, said, Two are better than one. You remember that in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And uh, that is true. So we're going to talk about small groups today as part of our exploration of church health. This is trait number nine. Uh, we've got one more to go and then some uh, application pieces for that. The church literally is that kind of an arrangement. We call it a community, a fellowship of brothers and sisters who come together under the authority of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's how we define, or how I define the church. The church is a community of spirit-born people who band together under the authority of Jesus Christ and the care of godly leaders in order to bring glory to God. 
And they bring that glory to God by doing three things. Worship, edification, and witness. Now, there are a lot of pieces in that, but, but, it's a community. So I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We've looked at this text before, but I want us to look at it again under this theme that humans need each other and that the small groups are really a critical part of this kind of a need. And I want us to explore this and unpack this a little bit. We looked at this uh, four weeks ago when we talked about discipleship, but there's so much in this text we cannot exhaust it in a single pass. Acts chapter 2, we'll start at verse 42. Again, if you're able, I invite you to stand and follow as we read. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Join me in prayer. Father, this is a fairly uh, pivotal summary of your early church. There is so much we can learn from this text. So, Father, my prayer is that together as a congregation, individually and corporately, we would open our hearts and our minds so that the power of your Holy Spirit would teach us what we need to glean from this text and other portions of your word today. Father, we admit we have a long way to go. But we also declare before you that we want to press ahead in our quest to be wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Bless this time. Bless your word to our hearts. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So this is what we want to explore just a little bit this morning as we look through these uh, ten traits of a healthy church. Uh, Number nine here, and here it is. I think we've printed it there in your folder. A healthy church is committed to fostering spiritual growth by means of small groups. And now you look at this text and say, where does he get it? Where does he get that? Well, if you look at it, it talks about day by day in their homes and in the public arena, they are actually in the process of developing as spiritual followers. So I want us to talk about this today. Let me just define what I feel is a, is a small group. In fact, I have in front of me some lecture notes from Roberta Hesnes. I studied under her guidance doing my work at Fuller back in the early, early 80s. Uh, this uh, small group is a Christian group that is intentionally face-to-face gathering of 3 to 12 people on a regular time schedule with a common purpose of exploring and growing in the possibilities of the abundant life of Christ. Now, that's a fairly short definition, and we'll unpack that in just a little bit. But 
before I go on, I have to offer you a disclaimer, okay? Here is the disclaimer. I am prejudiced. I am very, very prejudiced toward small groups. Let me give you just a bit of the, of the backstory. Uh, in the in the 70s, when I was in college, some of you might remember the 70s. For the rest of you, just take it from your elders. I was a part of a small group that literally changed my life. And I also had the opportunity to lead. Uh, let, let me just tell you, um, I, we went to Hinson Memorial Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon, one of the one of the great historic churches. And the pastor asked me if I would lead a, a small group for some new believers. I said, what? I can't do that. Well, said, you're, you're a Bible school student. Of course you can do that. Blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, well, let's see what we can do. And the assignment that I had was um, a, a family that had just come to Christ, Dr. Wolf. And we went across town to the Wolf's home. It was on the other side of town. It was one of, you know, um, his, uh, his house reflected his station in life. And they asked little me to lead a Bible study there. They had just come to faith. And it was one of the most electric and exciting experiences of my early days in ministry. I will never forget the penetrating questions and how we wept and prayed and grew together in that living room over the course of that school year. I'll never forget that. As time has gone on, I have been reinforced in my prejudice, in my commitment to small groups. I have grown through them. I have seen people grow through them. Many of you right here in this room can attest to the fact that small groups and and the one-on-one working with the Scripture and each other has built stellar faith into your life and walk. So that's my disclaimer. And I think my prejudice has validity. If not, (laughs) um, okay. So... Healthy churches are committed to to developing small groups. And how do they do this? Well, there's a couple of things. First, they know and they follow the biblical examples. And I want to just look at a couple of these because small groups are not something that have been invented in the 70s. They've been around for, for generations. And the text that we looked at infers that. But I'd like you to turn over to Mark chapter 4 where it's even more explicit about this. Because the first example, the first model here is Jesus himself. I read through uh, Mark chapter uh, 4 again and, and, and discovered afresh this very principle. There's two kinds of venues or two kinds of arenas where Jesus continued to minister. The large crowd... And then the small group. Let's, let's take a look at this. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered. You see that? I underlined very large crowd. In fact, it was so crowded that he had to kind of change the podium around just a little bit in order to accommodate the crowd. And he taught them. Verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and about the teaching that he had just given. So just back out of this a little bit, and we see two uh, opportunities. There is the large crowd, the large group. And by the way, these people didn't always come for the quality of teaching. They came because this guy served them free lunch on the hill and gave them free health care. I mean, who's not going to show up for that? But at the same time, they were also able to get spiritual guidance because of his teaching. 
But in verse 10, it says, when they were alone, when they, the large crowd was not part of that, and those around him, along with the 12, asked him, and he gives a little bit deeper explanation of what, that, it, it, what that's all about. Now drop down to verse 34 in the same chapter. He did not speak to them about parables, but privately to his own disciples, he explained all of these things. Now, I noticed this pattern a number of places through the New Testament. You can go to to, uh, uh, Matthew 13, which is the parallel text that is also shared there, where Jesus used the large group gathering, and then he also uh, gave the small group extra attention, extra teaching, extra it's like, kind of like the laboratory after the lecture. So that becomes very, very important. Also, we see this in the book of Acts. The text we just read talked about that. But if you go on down to chapter 4, verse 32, chapter 5, verse 42, chapter 20, verse 20, you see the same pattern. The large group compared to this followed by a small group discussion where they would come together and and work on this with a little more depth. I love the way Paul summarizes that in Acts chapter 20 as he collects the Ephesian elders and rehearses for them his ministry. He says, I have not declined, I have not shrunk back from telling you the truth in large group and from house to house. And we see that pattern that is set up there in the New Testament. I... uh, I don't know how else to say that that's, that's important. Also, the, the example of the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 16. You might make a note of that because here Paul comes to a place and he finds a young guy, his name is Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I would like you to join this little peripatetic school. This might have been the original shepherd school. You all have a shepherd school for those who are in ministry training. And he called him into that group and he said, I want you to join this particular band, this, uh, this group, as we go through this business of training. That was one of Paul's small groups. In fact, in another place, he named some of those and I counted seven there. So there were seven in his small group, his training group. Now, some people who do uh, particular uh, work with uh, church health and so on, feel that small groups are really, really important. And I've already told you that I'm prejudiced, so I'm gonna, I collect material that reinforces my prejudice, just like you do. But I think my prejudice has, has validation. So I want to share with you from uh, a guy by the name of Christian Swartz. He is a German church researcher and with great precision and detail has gone across the entire world surveying literally hundreds of churches trying to discover what helps them become healthy. And I want to read a paragraph from his book that he emphasizes this business of small groups. Quote, after we had processed all 4.2 million survey answers, we calculated which of the 170 variables had the most significant relationship to church health. It is probably no coincidence that our computer selected the one variable in this area of what he calls holistic small groups. So they processed 4.2 million pieces of data. The computer sorted that and surfaced this particular piece as being the most strategic. He goes on and says, If we are to identify one principle as the most important one in all of this, then without a doubt it would be the multiplication of small groups. 
Say on, Dr. Schwartz. <laughs> um, this, this study has, has reinforced a number of things in this regard. That's part of the reason that I am so, so prejudiced toward these. Now, here's the, here's the thing. What happens in, in a small group is that we can take Bible information and move that a little deeper into our soul in what I call Bible application. My observation over the years is that many people have, have, a, have a significant amount of Bible information, but the slim side of that is often Bible application. In my experience, and as many of you have experienced, a small group is a great place to actually do this Bible application with brothers and sisters as we work it out. And even as the proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, we work together to hone the spiritual pieces in our lives and work with one another in that. That's what James chapter 1 says. He's, James says, I don't want you just to be hearers only, but I want you also to be doers of the word. Sometimes there is a gap in our society. This is the way Paul puts it in Romans 12 too. He says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and thus that will continue to come out in the renewal of your behavior as well. Small groups are a great, great opportunity to do that. The second way churches do this is they follow a healthy process. And I've just put a few things there. The first, they bring the spiritual disciplines into daily life. Now, this, this part here is what, what we call the lecture part. Now, let, let me just pause here and, and tell you how I have done this in the past that I have found helpful. I have put together what I call the three-legged stool. Uh, as you know, if a stool has one leg, it's not very sturdy. When I worked on a dairy farm, we had little stools with one leg. You could only sit on those for a very short time and if your balance was quite good. There are also two-legged stools. They're not very stable either, but a, a, a stool that has three legs is much, much stabler. You know this. If you're an engineer or do drawing things, that a triangle is one of the most stable kinds of configuration. So I call this the three-legged stool. And here's the three legs. The first leg is what I call the public teaching. That's what we're doing right now. The, the Jesus on the hill, the large crowd where there is kind of, we would call this the lecture. And in the education system, there is that part. There is the lecture. And, and, and lectures are good. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, the large crowd. That's, that's leg number one. But there's a second leg, and I call this leg private reflection. Historically, one thing I've done is written for the congregation what I call five appointments with God over five days that take the essence of the teaching material from the lecture so that people have an opportunity to process that privately and reflectively and work through a text and, and a prayer. I, I tried to make that so it would take about five or six minutes, usually on the same material that had been covered in this kind of a venue. That's leg two. Leg three is, and you probably guessed this, is the small group discussion. On the same material, I would often create a set of exploration or reflection questions for the group to dialogue about that principle. Some churches call these sermon-based small groups, where we take the principle, we take the teaching of the large crowd, and we put that into the small group, and we continue to wrestle with that and deepen that and explore that with a little more intensity and a little bit more energy. 
That's the three-legged stool. The public lecture, private reflection, group discussion. There are churches today that are, are doing that. It might work here at Trinity. I don't know. But uh, I, I might just recommend it again. I'm prejudiced, but I think I have some validation for my prejudice. And that's why I, I preach this, because I have been changed by it. And many of you have too. So the small group then becomes like the application huddle, the opportunity for peer mentoring, the opportunity for this small group transformation possibility. And it's very, very significant. The second thing that uh, happens there is what I call uh, loving follow-through or accountability. And you, you can do that in a small group. It's hard for us to do it here or even in a, maybe a conventional Bible study or class. And here's how it works. We talk about some application in the small group. And when we come back, it, it goes something like this. Jim, you said last week that you were going to work on da-da-da. Tell me how that went. That's closing the loop. We don't often do that. That's what we call loving accountability, not in a legalistic way. Or not in a way say, did you do your homework this week, Jim? No, but it's, it's a kind, uh, a situation where Jim can be helped through that. Maybe he got stuck. Maybe you have gotten stuck somewhere and the brothers and sisters in your group can help you process that in a loving, compassionate sort of a way. So I, it's, there it is. The, also, the third part of this is to expect transformation. This loving, positive peer pressure that we, we close the loop, as we just have said, so that, in fact, we will help each other grow. And I say, doesn't this take a lot of time? It does. You know, it's easy just to come to a lecture and say, oh, that was cute. And then we go on about our business. But if it's actually going to take root and make a difference here... It's going to take some time. Remember, we're not growing mushrooms in the church. We're growing oaks of righteousness, Isaiah 62. And that takes, that takes some time. And that takes some focus. So the third thing in all of this is these churches actually pursue some of the elements of a healthy small group. And I've listed them there under, the, under some various C's. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. The first one is commitment. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we translated the word devoted as even to be glued. The commitment here is very, very strong. A lot of times today, people don't have commitment to brothers and sisters in Christ. But in a small group, that, that kind of commitment can be very, very powerful. Sometimes we even use a covenant to help people be committed and devoted one to the other. So there's commitment. Uh, there's also confession, okay? Now, here's one of the things I see as often a gap in some evangelical circles. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins one to another. Oh, brother, I'm not confessing my sins to anybody, just to God. James 5 actually encourages us to do that. Now, this isn't, again, like a Gestapo kind of a thing. Uh, where it's going to be a brutal, under-the-light uh, sort of a thing. But it is a mutuality of being honest and transparent and vulnerable with the brothers and sisters in the group that can help us. You see, I want you to know that, that small groups are not tuxedo events, okay? We don't dress up in our best spiritual garb to try to impress all the people there. No, we come as real people with real issues. We bring our brokenness, whatever, to that group that can help us process and love us as we're transparent. 
That leads us to the next C, communication. Real, honest, non-fluffy, non-bluffy communication. Now, you know that our world is full of fluff and bluff. You know, everywhere you go, you know, people talk, talk, talk. Sometimes it's real, but most of the time it's not. In a small group, you want people to know you and you know them so that that communication is what I call, uh, rather than PC communication, is what I call CC communication. You know CC communication? That is candid communication, unvarnished, unedited. Now, it doesn't mean that we do our dirty laundry in public, but we come humbly for grace and forgiveness and communicate. It goes right there with confession. The next C is confidence. Now, this has to do with trust. I trust the brothers and sisters in my group. I trust them with my life. I trust them with information that I might not trust anybody else. And what is said in the small group stays in the small group. We don't go out and say, did you know that? No, that's not how a good small group works. <laughs> because we have the commitment and we have the confidence. We can share. We can be real with others and know that they will do that and we'll do that mutually. That kind of mutual trust. There's also the idea of compassion, that is, caring one for the other. In fact, uh, you don't have to turn to this, but uh, you can jot it there. First John chapter 3, uh, verse 18. Actually, the whole paragraph is important. First John 3, well, verse 16 starts. It says, By this we know that, that, uh, that he loved us because he laid down his life for us. And then the next phrase is, We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Here's how he summarizes in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Folks, you, you, you realize that our, our society is just filled with talk, nonstop talk. He says, let us not love merely in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. There's a difference. You see, talk is cheap. You know that. But action comes behind that in a small group. And then the other C is countable or accountable. That is, I can rely on you, you can rely on And loving accountability is how that works. Now, we could say, we could say a lot. We can't cover this in, in one pass. But let me just reemphasize. I'm passionate about small groups. Many of you are passionate about small groups. And, and one of the things that uh, the elders are working on are some health things. In fact, pray for them this afternoon as they explore some of these options. Uh, I would like us to inject additional octane into that small group movement across Trinity Church. In fact, here is where I'm going to put in my plug for exercise next Saturday morning led by me for three hours about small groups. And I've titled it a small group leaders workshop. You say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a leader. Okay. If you just want to investigate, you can do that, but come. And some of the material that we've looked here will expand, will emphasize. This is normally an eight hour workshop, but I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version in only three. So bring about four pencils and we'll burn them up during the process of that, of that gathering. Small groups are about responsible study, honest sharing, supportive prayer, and compassionate service. And they make a huge, huge difference. Because a healthy church is committed, not just minorly, but majorly, to fostering the spiritual growth of the people across the church through the process and by means of small groups. 
And so I salute you. You guys have lots of small groups across here. Part of what the elders are working toward is help us uh, leverage that. that. That might be the right word, but help resource that in such a way that those groups become more and more effective as time goes on. Let me just, get, in case you're not convinced, let me give you one more piece here. This is from Tom Rainer a couple of years ago in one of his posts. He said, the two most important practices in healthy churches. <clears throat> and you might know by now where one of these is going to land. He says, I have researched literally thousands of churches over the years, and two common things have always emerged. Here's the first. The church strongly encourages its members to read Holy Scripture on a daily basis. Now, people say, well, I don't have time. Well, actually, you do have time. You just use that time for something else. (laughs) Okay? It's a matter of some reprioritizing. He doesn't say that you have to spend an hour reading your Bible. Four minutes is a good place to start. Now, you already know what the second one is, but I'm going to share it with you right off of his printed page. The church has an incredibly strong emphasis on groups, whether it is Sunday school, home groups. Uh, He said, I don't care what you call them, just so you have them. Now, here's an interesting piece that he adds to that. Dropout rates are five times higher for those involved only in worship versus those who are involved in a small group. That's a fairly stunning piece. This is where people stick to the fellowship. We can't always know if you're here or not here, but we can know if you're missing in the small group. So you can be committed to the nine. It's more difficult to be committed to the 99. You understand that. You, you, you see how that works. So, Sign up for this workshop. As you exit, you go through the lobby. Before you go out the double glass doors, turn right. We call that, what do we call it? Connection center, the welcome center, something center. And on the counter there is a sign-up sheet for small group leaders workshop Saturday the 21st. If there's any tug there, go ahead and and sign up for that. Now, one more thing. Um, this, uh, this is from a book that I read. This is from, uh, I think, a book by John Ortberg. And he's quoting um, this. Uh, in fact, I forgot who. You know, I, I pulled together stuff. I don't even know where this came from. But it's in a book by John Ortberg. And the guy he's quoting is Robert Putnam. He made a strong statement. As a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no group at all, but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying in the next year in half. I don't know where he got that data, but here's the good part. (laughs) It's difficult to imagine anyone not being interested in cutting their risk of death in half. (laughs) You'd probably all sign up for that. So he says, in our church, we have a motto for small groups. Join a group or die. (laughs) Now, we're we're, we're not quite going there, but it might be. It might be, because those are the people that are going to help you through whatever it is and help the Bible become part of your life and part of your heart. Did I mention I'm passionate about small groups? Just in case you missed that. 
They're so important. They've been so important in my life. And I want them to continue to be important in the life and ministry of Trinity Church. One of the churches that I've been studying, they have 130% of their Sunday morning attendance in small groups. That means if they have 100 people in their attendance, they have 130 people in their small groups. In fact, that is a church that actually states it this way. If you have to miss something, do not miss your small group. And that church has grown immensely, largely because of that. Did I mention I'm passionate about small groups? Many of you are too, but I want to underline this exclamation point. We see it through the Gospels. We see it through the epistles. Jesus used small groups. Paul used small groups. Churches that are using them today are churches that will flourish and that the people who are part of that will continue to develop as wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what every one of you in this room truly want. So when there's a fresh sign-up for small groups across the, the landscape of Trinity Church, I want you to run for that sign-up sheet and to be a part of that. Did I mention? I am passionate about small groups because Jesus was passionate about small groups. The Apostle Paul was passionate about small groups. And I want Trinity Church to grow in your passion and commitment to healthy, vibrant small groups. Pray with me. Father, thank you, for, thank you for the fact that you invented the first small group way back in Genesis chapter 2. We haven't always done a real good job sometimes in following through with that. But Father, we're here today to make some fresh commitments in this regard. And Lord, it's not just about commitment to the group. Even deeper, it's about commitment to you and to your people who are a part of that. And in that, and together with the brothers and sisters, we will grow as your community. Passionate about you, caring for each other, touching the world. If you're not in a, in a small group of some kind today, I would just like to challenge and encourage you to perhaps press ahead and explore that possibility. Maybe talk to your elder or someone in position of influence across the landscape of this church to see how that might occur for you. Maybe you're in a small group. Would you continue to make the investment by attendance, by preparation, by prayer, that truly that group would flourish and develop? And we would see a wave of fully committed, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that when your son journeyed here on the earth, he fashioned a small group 
left us with a worthy model for how this can work. Father, give us fresh understanding and fresh passion about this way to develop ourselves as wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. To you belong all the praise, honor, and glory. You are the Lord of the church. You have sacrificed your son to make it possible for us to be and enjoy this kind of community. Please know we are thankful. In the name of Jesus, amen. I would, I'd just like to invite you to stand, and I just want to pray a blessing over you from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, the Lord just gave this to me this morning, and I just want to share it with you. It blessed me, and I, I, uh, I want it to be a blessing as you exit today. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, Rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, Agree with one another. Live at peace with one another. Two verses later, he puts it like this. And now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you. Brothers, that is God's blessing for you as you exit and go to whatever you're facing beyond these doors. He will be with you. He will bless you in his name. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.